Hi there. This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's word and the ministry of the Spirit. There's a sound. Can you raise a sound? Give it up for Jesus. Glory. Amen. Glory to God. Have your sticks in God's presence. Have your sticks in God's presence. Can we celebrate the beckoners? What a joy. Amen. Amen. Slap your neighbor a high five. Welcome them to church. Give the compliments that every tribesman must receive this year. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. What a time we have been having in God's presence, sharing on his fragrance. Hallelujah. And we've taken the concept of holiness even to a strong degree in the last couple of months or last couple of, of weeks talking about the theme for the year. Now thanks be to God who causes us to triumph in Christ, making manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. And we established how that fragrance is the ointment of apothecary, as established in the first teaching on the highway of holiness, and how that dead flies have a way of impacting the flow of that fragrance. Ecclesiastes 10:1. How that dead flies have a way of making the ointment of apothecary to stink, and how that the devil is known as Baal Zebub, that's the god of flies. And how he deploys flies into people's ointments is through sin. So he wants to contaminate fragrance and turn it into an odor. And what he does is that he sends sin your, your way. And the moment you accept to sin, then you have introduced a stinking smell into your fragrance. And what should be something that is attractive for people to come to Jesus now becomes a disservice. You now begin to repel people from the kingdom. You begin to send people away from God. And like Mahatma Gandhi said, he said, I would have become a Christian if I never met one. That means he met a Christian. He had expected that the Christian would accept him with open hands and get him saved and all that. And it was the Christian that told him that, no, we don't accept black people into this church. This is a white church. And from that day, he decided never to step a foot in the church again. And he led the whole of India into polytheism because the church would not accept him. That person that rejected the integration of Mahatma Gandhi was not a fragrance. He was not spreading the sweet savour of the knowledge of God. All right, it made God look like a racist, and that's not consistent with the knowledge of God. God wants to communicate his knowledge to the world through us. And so you stand a risk of miscommunicating who God is to a dying world when you do not preserve your body wholly sanctified for him to use as a vessel so that it's no longer the gloves that is moving but the hands in the glove but you need to be a yielded glove for the hand to move easily through you and that's why gloves are not made of steel they're made of materials that makes it malleable so that it can be used of God Romans 12 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God I present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable act of worship 
and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we also talked about how all of this connects to this, the four dysfunctions that the devil uses to perpetuate sin in the lives of people. Talking about the four pillars of sin as chronicled in Isaiah chapter 40, talking about how that before a highway of holiness can be all right, erected, all right, the mountains must be brought down, the valleys must be filled, the crooked paths must be made straight, and of course the rough edges must be made smooth. And how that God wants to make each one of us into a highway, because if you're not a highway, then you'll be like that man that Mahatma saw, and then you become a reason why someone cannot go further in God, and God will not be able to ride you into other people's lives, because you're no longer a highway and the reason why people are a false or a failed experiment of their ambassadorship in Christ is because they are either mountains or valleys or crooked paths or rough edges. They may be saved, but they don't have that arrow eye. God cannot use them to reach other people because there are dysfunctions in their lives that makes them stink before men. God wants to be a fragrance before, before men so that men will see us and because of us, they will say, I would like to come to church. I'd like to be a Christian. There's something about you. You know, there are prophecies that talk about how that it will come to pass in the last days that several people will hold onto the garment of a believer and they will tell the believer, take us to your God. We hear that God is with you. Take us to that God. And that's the that's the ultimate objective that God has for us as believers, especially in these last days, where his glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And how that will happen is by him having sufficient manpower on the field of souls to carry that mandate to the ends of the earth. And so we've been talking about these dysfunctions, the mountain dysfunction, talking about pride, the valley dysfunction, about shame. And then last week we touched on um, deception as one of those those pillars that the devil uses to attack people, believers alike. Hallelujah. Today we're going to be talking about pain, the last one, and I'll be teaching a little further about how to overcome the challenges that sin poses. All right? How to overcome sin, how to live above sin in a real sense. Not just, you know, intellectually, not just mentally, not just in the word, not in the realm of the spirit. No, but living witnesses of the manifestation of God's righteousness upon the face of the earth. And so pain is one of those things that the enemy uses and it deploys to attack people. How many of you here have been through a painful, hurtful situation before? And after that ordeal, you decided never to ever put yourself in such a situation again. How many of you have been there? All right. You went through so much pain. You said, no, I will never again put myself up for this kind of treatment. And pain has a way of manipulating our disposition to future occurrences. And this is one of the things that the enemy does significantly. All right, he uses pain, he weaponizes pain. All right, because the world is dysfunctional, the world is a fallen world. All right, whether you do anything right or wrong, you will experience some measure of pain in this world. Someone will disrespect you, someone will betray you, someone will do something that you don't like, something that will pain you and hurt you deeply. And so the devil wants you to magnify, alright, the impact of that pain and on the strength of that feeling, make decisions about your future that would also eliminate you from all the potential goods that may be in that future. And that's how the devil keeps people trapped within a time zone where even though you have left the past, you are still in the past. Even though you are going into the future, you are going back into 
time because you have not allowed your pain to heal. You have made a decision, a lasting decision about your future on the premise of a dysfunctional experience in the past. And so the devil says, never trust a man again because a man, all right, disappointed you. And so you close your heart up for any potential interaction with any kind of man because on the premise of, the, of a past experience, you have now painted every man the same. And so even though you will never be beaten again, all right, because you stretched your hand the first time, never also will you ever be warmed again. Because you see, when you close your heart because of the fear of the consequence that might happen, because of what you have experienced in the past, you are also closing your heart, all right, towards every potential opportunity that could happen. You will never be late if you don't step out of your house. I hope you know that. So you've been, you've, been, you've been late before and you don't like how it felt when you were late. And so yes, you will never be late if you decide based on the fact that you went out and you were late and you say, I will never go out again. You may never be late again, but you would also never be early. That's what it means. You will also never be able to seize opportunities. So I will not love again because, well, um, I was hurt the last time. Someone betrayed me. Someone led me on for four years and then stopped liking me and then broke up with me. And so because of that one experience, you decide something that you shouldn't have because of the fear of the pain instead of the potential of the, the gain that could happen in the future. And this is how the devil manipulates pain. He uses the pain to keep you trapped so that you would so loathe the potential of that pain that you would zero your mind to also discount every form of gain that could come in the future. And so on the strength of pain, people make very, very bad choices about their future. I'm sure some of us may have seen the movie Breath of Life, which I thought was a brilliantly scripted movie. But one of the things I want to bring out from that movie is the fact that we see some of the things that pain can do in the life of a person. The moment he experienced that pain, the pain became his definition. He could no longer live beyond the reality of that pain. It didn't matter how long he lived. Of course, he couldn't die. He tried killing himself. Nothing could happen. And so he became nasty. He became judgmental. He became uh, unpleasant. He just had a terrible attitude. Nobody could talk to him. Nobody had the right to be around his space because he had been through much pain. And that's what happens. When you go through pain, you become paranoid. You begin to suspect people. You don't think anybody deserves your attention. You believe that everybody is just wicked and so you are defensive because you have been through pain and you never want to go through that pain again. But you don't realize that you may not be going through any pain in the future but the pain you've experienced once is still on repeat. You are still in that pain. You have not outgrown it. You are still right there in the pain. And the devil weaponizes that pain to make you a nasty person. Makes you violent. Makes you vindictive. You never want to hear about any other person's story again. You lose every form of empathy. It doesn't matter what any other person goes through because you have been through worse. And you have been through worse does not give you the right to be insensitive to other people. Because what you call worse may not really be worse than what somebody else is going through. You see, it is your experience. It's not supposed to be a relative competition. That because you have gone through worse, what other people are going through, because to you is milder than what you have gone through, does not mean what they are going through is milder really. Because to them, the impact may have been worse than the impact that what you went through was to you. I hope you understand what I'm saying. And so it is not a battle of who has had it worse. Even though I know in this part of the world, we like to compete on disasters and calamities and negativisms. You know, if you've had something, a bad day, and you share with a friend, 
instead of them to say, but less sorry, have you eaten? Have you gotten home? Try and take some rest and all that. Instead of them to encourage you, say, hey, what happened to you? They say, traffic, hey, is, that, is that one bad day? <laughs> Let me tell you what the bad day looks like. And then they will begin to tell you how they should receive the trophy for who has had the worst day in the world. And then in a way, it sort of makes you feel better, right? <laughs> And that's how sometimes pain has become a weapon of warfare in the kingdom of darkness where he has used pain to make people dull. Where they are no longer making logical decisions, even rational decisions. Let me give you an example. Let's say for example, let's think through this together. Because I'll still get a teach. I just want to paint a picture for us. Let's say you have been through seven relationships that broke up. Perfect number. So he said, you know what? God is telling me it has, it has due. I, 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 shouldn't, I shouldn't try again. This is the perfect number. I shouldn't attempt any other one. Do you know that you risk wasting all those seven experiences if you don't try again? So you would have learned nothing from all your seven experiences if what it made you conclude on was that you will never try again. That means you were better off when you had not even started having dysfunctional relationships than you are seven in. So in order to justify, and this is just on a very logical level, in order to justify all the sufferings you've gone through, there has to be something that continues to make you push for the pos possibility for the right relationship. Because one right relationship can write off all the bad memories of all the relationships you've been in that were terrible put together. But what people do is that just maybe two relationships into the right one, figuratively now, they lose hope, they lose heart, they lose faith, and then the seven actually becomes the only ones. And then by the time they're writing their story, there was no redemption in the narrative. There was no redemption because they stopped at some point. They were no longer resilient. And this is what happens to every entrepreneur. They've started several businesses, not working, but the reason why they don't stop is because this thing has to at least have some meaning and some redemptive you know, purpose in it. If I stop now, I've lost. I've truly lost. If I stop now, the story ends here. That I failed seven times and that's it. And that's the end of the entire story. But if I continue, even if I have to pay seven more dysfunctional relationships to get one, at least that one can pay back everything that I've lost in the first 15. Do you understand? And so what happens is that whenever we go through pain, the devil paints a picture with the pain, with the pain, and he ensures he uses it as some sort of a garrison so that we can't live outside of that because we don't ever want to experience it again. But we don't realize that when we choose to agree with the narrative that the devil is painting with the pain, we repeat the pain and we never really leave. Look at that man. The man never really left that moment in his life. That was when he really died. Do you understand? Because the moment that thing happened to himself and his family, he couldn't live beyond that time zone. And every time he remembers whatever happened to his family, he cries, he's, he's depressed because... He's trapped in that season until there was another picture painted for him that gave him a sense of hope, a sense of there is something about my future that this whole experience can become redemptive. And until you allow God paint a picture, even with the pain, you're not likely going to see the life of God that God has in store for you and in front of you with hope and excitement. Because you would be very, very calculated. You'd be very paranoid. You would always look at people like, they are coming for me because you have been pained before. You have been hurt before. And I see this happen all the time when, thank you. When people go through bad situations in their lives, 
they begin to make progressively dysfunctional decisions on the strength of the pain that they've experienced. The, the, the way to learn from experiences is not to look at the pain alone. It's to look at the pain relative to God's insight and perspective about that thing. What did you learn from it? Don't just make an absolute decision as I will never. Be careful of absolute decisions when it is induced by a negative experience. That you have been through a negative experience does not mean you create some absolute decision out of that painful experience. I know it was painful. I know it was a very devastating situation in your life. I know you were really, really hurt, but you are also emotional. And good decisions don't come from a very exaggerated emotional feeling. So be careful to be sober. This is why sobriety is one of the tools that the Holy Ghost uses to help you make right decisions. Because the moment you are overly emotional, you are likely going to exaggerate outcomes, exaggerate factors and variables. Things that if you were really thinking straight, you wouldn't have said, you would begin to say it. You begin to, because you have not really tested all men. How can you come with the conclusion that all men are the same? What gave you that impression? Because of one man, now you have made the pain more powerful than it needs to be. Now that one man is now the person that you have made to be the prototype of all men in the world. And because of that, you will not even give any other man a chance. So you are still making the person you really hate the most have the most impact and control over your life. I thought what you were really trying to do was to distance yourself as far away from the negative situation as much as possible. But by not learning from God's perspective on how to interpret that pain, you are still a victim of that which you were thinking you were running away from. So that which caused you pain is now still the one in control of your life. Because because of him, you will never give any other person a chance. And that redemption story will still be aloof. Because you have not allowed God's perspective overwhelm your emotional reaction to that season of pain. We live in a fallen world. You need to agree with that. Stop saying, why me? The devil will make you a nasty person just from that statement. So you believe that you are the most unfortunate person in this world. Why do you really think you will become generous after that kind of situation? It will kill your generosity. It will kill your benevolence. It will kill your attitude to life. You will begin to see everything as something that has come to get you. And nobody deserves kindness because you were, nobody was kind to you. Was that on the pathological dysfunction we continue to see in secondary schools? So junior boys were maltreated, were dealt with, were beaten, were hanged. People were hanged, though. Hanged, were spinning. They used to call a place house of pain in my secondary school. What kind of despicable nomenclature is that? You call a place house of pain. And you introduced junior boys to it. It was like a den of lion. Whenever you were passing through the ground floor. And then you go through that for three years. Seniors deal with your life. You would think that people like that would get to second, I mean, to senior schools or senior levels. And become empathetic because they've been through the pain. No, that's not what it turns them into. They become worse than their progenitors. Then they create new and innovative ways to perpetuate wickedness. They, say this, in fact, they will not begin to compete on... Calamity. Do you understand? Like, they'll begin to tell you that this one is small. When I was your, when I was in GS1, this, if you know what I went through. And you're like, what did you learn from this pain? Nothing. He just made you a worse. And that is why whenever you respond in pain to things you expressed in your family, you will take it to the next level of dysfunction. You say your father, your mother, your this, your that. You didn't forgive them. You didn't respond the way God intends for you to respond. You will not become a worse version of that which you hated. Because pain does not produce anything good. 
It is the, interpret the right interpretation of pain that produces something good. The right interpretation of pain. Let God use that pain to paint a new picture to you. Not for you to be responding emotionally to what you suffered. You don't realize they are not becoming the exact replica of that which you hate. You don't realize it. And so the devil weaponizes pain. Ask anyone who terrorizes people and bombs people. Many of them, their families were taken from them by the extremists on the opposite side. Three-year-olds taken, all right. Your father was taken, your mother was taken. And then somebody comes to radicalize them and tell them that you see those people, they don't want the good for you. Everywhere you see them, you exterminate them because they were the ones that took your, your parents from you. They took your childhood from you. Then they give you a gun and they tell you to start killing from the age of five. And that is what the pain turned them into. Turned them into radical jihadists and terrorists. They've been through all kinds of pain. That is what it produced. Pain has never produced anything good if it is not interpreted through the lens of redemption. If you don't interpret pain through the lens of redemption, you will perpetuate dysfunction. It's just how it works. So the devil has sufficient material to work with because pain abounds in the world. And so that is why he's using pain to replicate all kinds of dysfunctions in people's lives. So you just go out and people are not just nice anymore. You're wondering, what made you into such a beast? Why are you no longer nice? Why are people not nice? They've been through so much. They've been through so much. And how they respond to that is by being defensive. It's by being not nice. It's by being cocky. Because they've been through stuff. And they never want to go through it again. So they will never extend a hand to any other person. Why does anybody deserve kindness? When I should have been kind, when someone should have been kind to me, nobody was kind to me. So why should I? What? Nobody deserves my kindness because nobody gave me kindness. Until you respond to pain through the lens of redemption, you will perpetuate sin. This is what creates violence. You see two nations are fighting and fighting. Why? It's because of vindiction. They're trying to meet vengeance. They're trying to vindicate themselves. They're trying to retribute. They're trying to do something to get back at someone. So Simeon and Levi, their, their sister was raped. And instead of them to interpret that pain through the lens of redemption, they perpetuated the dysfunction. And they went to kill all those men. Cunningly, after accepting that they were part of them and they told them to circumcise themselves. And you can't heal from circumcision until after a few days, about eight days. And the third day is the worst. So they came after three days of circumcision. When they were the weakest. And they destroyed all the men there. And Jacob did not forget because he included it as a memo in their curse. Genesis 49. Because they did not interpret their pain through the lens of redemption. What have you been through that has turned you into a beast? What have you been through? Yes, it was a rape. I know it was terrible. I know it was bad. And this is what happens. Pain sent you into two extremes. Sent you into two extremes. You see, when people have gone through pain, what happens is that they either go to the extreme of trying to numb the pain with excessive pleasure. Or they become extremely cold and callous. And they lose every form of emotion in them. So people who may have been through rape, their reaction is either never to see man in the same light ever again or to continue to afford themselves as many sexual partners as possible. There is never a balanced way to interpret pain from outside the lens of redemption. If the devil gives you an interpretation, you can be sure it's excessive, it's exaggerated, it's extreme. Don't let pain determine your worldview. What has created the worldview that a lot of us have heard from our parents today? Don't marry this person. Don't do business with that person. Don't ever go out with this person. Never bring this person home as wife or husband or boyfriend. 
Why are they saying all this? They've not met everybody that exists within that entire clan. How come they're making a judgment call on the strength of one experience? That is what pain does. Because pain will just shut you off every potential good in a particular space. And you only zoom in on the potential for harm. Maybe you are one of the 1% that could be hurt. And then you shut yourself off the 99% of potential good in a particular clan. And then you create a fallacy about people like that. And then the legend will continue to travel across the entire landscape of, of Nigeria. And they begin to hear things like, Ijebububu are stingy. Where did this start from? Somebody had a terrible experience with an Ijebu man. The man was stingy towards him. Maybe the, Ijebu, maybe the first Ijebu man was Nabal. You understand? Maybe, maybe it was a Ijebu site. <laughs> All right? And so you, 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 you have that terrible experience and you were so hurt, you told your family, you told your street members, you told everybody around and the legend continued to grow. And before you know what's going on, that legend takes on the shape of the one person that you experienced that was Ijebu. I tell you the truth, if you go across the friends that you have, maybe 10 of them, maybe one of them will fulfill the prophecy of the one man that started this opera, Palava. The remaining nine may be solid guys who are generous. But the legend has now painted them in a light that they didn't have the right to respond with, with their own person. So you have, you, have, you have now painted a group of people. That's where racism came from. All these dysfunctions we see in the world, it started with pain. Nobody would just decide and say, I hate black people, I hate white people, I hate people from this part of the world, I hate people from this part of Nigeria. Houses and Igbos, and then you, be, you see all kinds of tribalism. It started with pain. Nobody just hates another human being for no reason. Somebody started to perpetuate pain. The devil took advantage of it and created a narrative. And then he escalated it and scaled it across a particular subsection. And then everybody's hating themselves for no just reason. We're still suffering from the reality of what happened at the Civil War. Long after the people that participated in the war are dead, their progenitors, I mean, their, their offsprings and people after them are still fighting themselves as if they knew that it was Ebuka that injured them. You don't even know this guy from Adam. You just heard a legend. You heard something. That this is what they did. They are wicked people. How about you let their attitude speak for itself? How about you let them prove themselves? Give everybody a fair chance. Don't make a conclusion based on one pain you have experienced in the past. Pain? The devil can take advantage of it. He can. And so don't subject yourself to laboratory experiments by the enemy. Whenever you see yourself being excessively, you are, you are mourning too much over something that was painful. Be careful, you are brooding philosophies that will keep you in that pain. You are brooding philosophies. You just begin to make decisions. Ah, never again. Never again. How can you cry over heartbreak for three months? Why? Why? What was the problem? Three months. You say, I need to, I, I need leave. You take a break from everything, from church, because of heartbreak. Do you really think you will come out of that heartbreak with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? <laughs> you come out with philosophies. That, ah, all men are scum. That's the philosophy you come out with. Because you, you cried too much over the spilt milk. Look at what David did when his son died. That's, that should be our response to pain. It was painful. He prayed and fasted that this son will not die. He prayed and fasted that God, please forgive, have mercy. Don't let this boy die. Heal him somehow. Everybody thought that this guy, he would never recover from this situation. They were even finding very, very careful about telling him that the son had finally died. And then he was seeing their body language and he was like, say it already. What has happened to him? Did he die? 
And the moment they told him that he had died, he rose up from that depressed state, went to have his bath, sat at the table and ate, and gave thanks to God. Wow. Such interpretation. And from the womb of that worship, in spite of pain, Solomon came out. And this is what happens. The devil wants you to respond to pain in a certain way. But God also wants you to respond to that pain in another way, with another interpretation. Understanding that this may have happened. Not because, well, the, you know, God left me alone. It's just the reality of the world. You are not the only person in this world. And everybody is not saved. Everybody is not born again. Not all men are saved. Not all men have faith, the Bible says. So there are wicked people abounding in this world. Someone just brushed, the guy was driving for just brushed my boot. What do we do now? Will I now come down and be chasing car? You just forgive and forget. You sing a song and you move on with your life. You just don't, don't always engage pain at the same level of energy. Don't. Don't match the energy that pain is bringing. Don't match the energy. The devil wants you to get into that boxing ring and begin to match the energy that pain is bringing. He's boxing you. He wants you to get angry and box back. Calm down. Respond. And this is what Jesus was trying to actually say when he said, when they slap you on the right cheek, don't respond and react. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because when they slap you on the right cheek, whoever has the right mindset and the level of sobriety to turn the other cheek is in control. That is what Jesus is trying to say there. He's not saying allow yourself to be bullied. He says be in control no matter how terrible the situation may be. If they slap you on the right cheek, why should you be still in your right mind? Turn the right cheek. It doesn't make any sense. It shows that even though you have slapped, you still thought. You processed. You looked around. You made a judgment call. And you didn't respond to the impulse of the pain. You responded to a higher call. That's what it means. That you can do what pain was not expecting you to do. You can do what pain was not expecting you. They slapped you on the right cheek. Ah, slap who? I think there's this new sport now, slapping people. I'm like, what's this? You volunteer for suffering. Like, I'm available to suffer now. And then you see people slap and some people faint. So imagine how painful such slaps can be. Have you seen stars before? That thing is true. <laughs> Me, I'm telling you, it's true. <laughs> you can see stars if they slap you at the level. You will ah, you will see stars. You say like, wow, God is good. See stars. <laughs> it can happen, but God doesn't want you to react. He wants you to respond. When you react, you always make the wrong judgment call. Don't get, any, don't let anybody get you into that place where you're making finite or better still, absolute permanent decisions of temporary and transient situations. What happened to you was temporal. What happened to you was transient. What happened to you happened in the moment. Don't determine your entire destiny on the strength of one experience. Think. Put God in that space. What would Jesus do in that moment? Praise the name of the Lord. Are we still together, guys? So the enemy weaponizes pain to cause people to seek unbridled pleasure as a gateway to peace and joy. So when you've gone through so much pain, this is what happens. This is why people go for drugs. They are, they are trying to numb a pain. They've, they've gone through so much emotional abuse. Check it out. Drug abuse, emotional abuse, they are so connected. Usually those that go for drugs are people that have been extremely abused by people. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually. 
the only place they get any form of respite and peace and calm is when they smoke this weed. It's when they take this drug. And it just numbs all their nerves. I should not describe it. The, the way I'm describing it is like, well, like ah, it would be good to taste this thing. You know? No, no, don't, don't worry. There's something in God that, that is bigger and better than that. It's called righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The devil has parallels for all these elements in his kingdom. You need to understand how he works. And so when people have been emotionally abused, instead of them to look for healing in God, they'll look for temporal manifestations of calmness. And they will interpret it as peace. So they will go for alcohol. Because it makes them forget their sorrows, isn't it? You forget what you have been through for a moment. Life just becomes easy. Everything soft. You're just like, man, why life just makes sense like this? Because you are high. <laughs> because you are high. You are very high. Another level of height. You can't be bothered. You can't be bothered with the beggarly elements of this world. You are too high. You are too high. Then, then your eye will now clear. You now realize that you are inside vomit. Or inside a gutter. Or, or you have lost a job. And then it takes you to another extreme. And so debauchery. You see those things in Galatians 5. Debauchery. Excessive partying. Drug abuse. Unbridled sexual appetite. And libido. Why? What is the problem? You didn't live for sex. No, you didn't. Go and ask Solomon. Some of his people, he couldn't meet with them before he died. He couldn't meet, he couldn't meet the shadow. He couldn't. You, it's not possible. You're, you're, you're a finite person with finite resources. You can't dissipate it every day and think you will live long. Mm. Yeah. Amen. 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 Praise God. Hallelujah. And it is pain that pushes people in these directions. Why would you drink something that is, is not sweet, but you, it does something? It makes you... I just, I just like, man, life is good. And we, we know your life is not really good, but in that moment, boy, life is good. You will borrow money, you are not stable financially, just to get a sense of pleasure. And you will sin repeatedly for something. And like I said before, every of this excessive binging of materials that are not healthy for people to consume... They are a type of idols. The objective in your life is to approximate the effect that God has in our lives. So the devil has his own parallel for righteousness, acceptance. It's, go, it's called gang culture, peer pressure. And so usually when you don't have righteousness with God, one of the things you would strive significantly to get is the acceptance from men. And this is what creates the gang culture, cancel culture we find on social media today. It's because people lack righteousness with God. When you are accepted before God, you will not have the incentive to try to make everybody like you. It will not just be part of your person to be striving for acceptance from men. Because you have the acceptance from God and the God of the universe. The one that creates everybody, that will judge all men. The one whose side you must be on, really. Whose side are you really on? Because if you don't have the righteousness that comes from God, you will try to get that righteousness from as many people as possible. So your life will be about getting likes and shares and comments. And if you don't get that, depression sets in. Because that is where you have literally, you have pegged your esteem to the extent of acceptance from men. So when it is not coming, your esteem goes down just as much. 
by the same margin that people's acceptance is not coming, your esteem will go down to that degree. How about you understand that you're already accepted and beloved, and God will never change his mind about you. And then you are stable emotionally. Nobody's, nobody's capable of manipulating you emotionally because they are using their acceptance as the, you know, that bait to manipulate your emotions. Because you already understand that you're already accepted and beloved. And so the devil understands these things. So what the kingdom of God is about, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The devil also has his own approximates. He has his own parallels. He has substitutes for, for those things. Gang acceptance, peer pressure, cancel culture. So you can't say some things because if you say those things, people will not accept you. They won't see you in a certain way. And so you keep quiet for acceptance. And then you are violating the acceptance from God. Remember what Jesus said? He said, if you reject me before men, he said, I will also reject you before my Father in heaven. If you exalt the acceptance of men above the acceptance of God, you have chosen the side you are on. So we must understand how the devil works. Peace and joy, he replaces them with sex, with partying, with alcohol, with drugs. And these are the things that have become so much common in our world today. The best of the stars that we admire on social media, very flippant flippantly and publicly and casually use these items that send some other people into psychiatric words. But they just do it online because it's not a big deal and it's the trendy thing. And somebody takes it and believes that it is when he does that he gets good music lyrics and stuff and then it takes more than his power. And they carry him. But it started with pain. And you see, one of the things the devil also does is that he finds a way to create a web where pain, pride, deception, and shame can have a conference and destroy a person's life. One dysfunction can lead to the other. It can. Imagine a person who was hurt as a little boy, who was never shown love and all those things, and then he was really hurt by his parents, and he said, you know what, I'm going to show every woman, all right, the pain that I went through. And then he grows up becoming a sociopath, a psychopath, all right, and begins to do very despicable things. Of course, he has to deceive to gain entrance into these people's lives. And then he has to see them as much inferior to himself. And you see all these manifestations of these four pillars of sin manifesting in an individual's life. The devil has never denied permission to enter into his person's life. He just needs an invitation. And that invitation doesn't even have to be something you do deliberately. Just partner with one of those things that he's about. Remember the teaching that Pastor also shared with us some months back about merchants and wares? That was just last month. How that there is a place where the devil displays his wares. If you go and buy his commodity and his goods, you can't say you have not invited him. How do you buy Nike footwear and say Nike is not in your house? Nike is now in your house. The works of the flesh, that is where the devil displays his wares. When you go there and you partner with any of those manifestations of the works of the flesh, I've also invited the devil into your house. So you say, well, a Christian cannot be possessed. But you have literally bought market from the devil. The devil is now influencing your life. He's now expressing himself around you because you can't buy a product and not say you have brought the manufacturer into your home. He is the one that literally manipulates all these tendencies in our flesh to create sin. And so we must understand how he works. Amen. Amen. You must understand how it works. You can't buy a product and disconnect from the source of that product. Wow. Wow. So what God does with pain is that he paints a new picture in your heart. If you dwell on the pain of the past, you will waste that experience. 
He will paint a new picture for you to rise above the despair of the past. He will paint a new picture. He has to. And you've got to believe the interpretation that God is trying to bring into your heart. Anyone who has ever experienced pain is far more motivated never to experience it again than to risk being rewarded with joy. I'll say that again. Anyone who has ever experienced extreme pain is far more mot naturally. This is what it will produce. If you've gone through a very bad situation, all right, you are far more motivated to never experience it again than you are to risk seeing a reward in the future. So you'll be far more motivated. If they say you may get it right in the future, you don't care whether you get it right or not as long as you don't repeat the cycle of pain again. And so that pain has become a greater motivation so that you don't repeat it than the possibility and the potential for joy and for fulfillment in the future. And this is how the devil gets people trapped so that they're no longer willing to take risks that may produce a lot of good results in their lives. So yes, you will be hurt again when you close your heart, but neither will you ever love again or be loved. Yes, you will be beaten if you don't stretch your hand, but neither will you ever be warmed again. You will never be late again if you never step out, but never will you seize opportunities as well. You have to account for the possibility for pain to see the good in this world. I'll say that again. You have to account for the possibility for pain in order to see the good in this world. Anyone that is too afraid to be hurt will repeat cycles of stagnation. Anyone that is too afraid to be hurt will repeat cycles of stagnation. Anyone. And these are some of the features you see when, when a life is overcome by pain and hurt. Number one, depression. All right? They, they are very unstable in their emotions. And that's the second thing. Instability in emotions and commitments. You give them something to commit to. They can't continue to be committed. It's one of those um, principles in emotional intelligence, talking about motivation. When you see people who constantly have to drop the ball, over, like it's, it's a repeated cycle. They drop the ball over time, over time. There's something going on in their personal lives that is funding that level of dysfunction. And it can be traced to pain. Instability in emotions and commitments. So they can't get the job done because they're, they're not feeling right in their, in their emotions. So they can't focus at work. They can't, and they're smart people, but the emotional side has become so empowered to affect other areas of their lives. Because they are not interpreting pain through the right lens. Financial pressures and misappropriation. Because you will use your resources to fund your addictions. You will use your resources to fund your addictions. And no addiction is healthy. No addiction is healthy. So financial pressures and misappropriation, health challenges can come from that. Confusion, mental illness, and sexual orientation challenges, they all come from pain. They all come from pain. Terrorism, all kinds of things. You just, you just begin to realize that, wow, at the root cause of everything that everybody hates is sin. But whenever you talk about sin, people feel like you're attacking them, you're judging them. No, we are addressing the monster head on. And we need to talk about it. Every single dysfunction in this world is precipitated, brewed by sin. Sin. And that is why Jesus came to address the most important thing in this world. To destroy the works of the devil. Which is chiefly sin. So don't feel uncomfortable when sin is being addressed. You are being instructed. You are being rebuked. You are being corrected. So that your soul can be saved. Because we live in a generation where people just expect too much niceness when you are addressing some issues. If you, if you are nice with this thing when it is still at the seed form, it will destroy your life. Do you really want us to leave you unattended to so that this thing destroys you? No! 
So we, we expect some nice, and the Bible was never really that nice. Let's go to, I mean, I, I shared it. <laughs> I shared it this morning, Proverbs chapter 19, is it? Abigail shared it with me earlier. Proverbs 19, what? 16, is it? Easy English. Can we go there quickly? I'm about to get to the... <laughs> There is something the Lord has laid in my heart to share with you today, and I hope your heart is open to receive it. Is your heart open to receive it? I believe it's Proverbs 19, 16, is it? All right. Let's go to easy English. <laughs> oh, dear. Easy English. What does it say? Where is this English here? Do I have easy English? Okay, what else? It's ESV, right? Okay, great. It says, whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. He who despises his ways will die. It's clear. Imagine I come to tell you, I say, obey God and live. But if you despise what I'm telling you now, you will die. You know, that sounds too harsh. And there are places you can be jailed for being unkind. And that will be considered to be unkind and unpleasant and uncomfortable. You must love correction to be preserved. You must love it. You must love when people rebuke and warn. Because the Bible is a warning. You know, this morning, as I just thought about it, I was just grateful for all the errors of the scriptures. That is, all the people that lived terrible lives. I was just grateful for them. For the, I'm like, thank God they showed us where it leads to. Because if they didn't, we would not have to be the ones to experiment with our own lives. And this is why the Bible is a book that carries all kinds of meanings when we read it with the lens of the spirit because you're like wow thank god for the kind of life that some people live so that we don't have to attempt it again we can see the end all things that were written are time we're written for our learning so that we through the comfort of scriptures might have hope and that's one of the characteristics or the tendencies you see all these things when someone has experienced a lot of pain but 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 here's this here's this let's 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 consider some things Sin is generic. Everybody has sinned and come short of the glory of God. I mean, I always believe that. That's what the Bible teaches. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans, I believe, 3.23. All have sinned. So there's no point continuing to talk about how people are sinful. That doesn't help even the sinner. I, I know people who, after hearing messages like this, they will still go back and sin. Because it's like they can't help it. And this is the reality of a lot of people. When people go into sins and fall into temptations, it's not because they don't know what they're doing is wrong. They know it's wrong, but they can't seem to help it. And that's where the second part of my teaching addresses. Because people are going through a lot, struggling with the realities of sin. But how do they overcome it? Especially those who are born again. Why, why can't we just break this cycle and once and for all deal with this big-headed monster that keeps coming every single time to get us back into the old nature? How do we address this thing? The problem of the sinner is not that there is sin. That's not really the problem of the sinner. The problem of the sinner is knowledge. That's the problem of the sinner. The problem of the sinner, especially the believer that still sings, is knowledge. There are some things he does not know. There are some things he does not know. And this is why in addressing the issue of sin, Apostle Paul begins to explain in Romans chapter 6 that knowledge is the big deal. Remember, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 says that my people are destroyed because they lack knowledge. 
The reason why you're allowing sin destroy your life is because you lack knowledge. It's not because this thing is so powerful. It's because there is something you don't know. And this is what the church ought to do. To impart people with the knowledge that helps them to stay strong against the onslaught of darkness through sin. And so Hosea 4.6 says, my people, the real cause of their destruction is not the power of sin. It's the fact that they don't know. They don't have enough knowledge. And so five times in Romans 6 alone, the word knowledge was talked about. Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Romans 6, 3, you see, know ye not. Romans 6, 6, you see, knowing this. Romans 6, 9, you see, knowing that. Romans 6, 11, you see, reckon ye. Reckon is a word known as acknowledgement. Where you account, you agree with whatever it is that is true. You account it, you reckon it. It is acknowledgement. And then there's Romans 6, 16, know ye not, again. Because how you facilitate holiness is by knowledge. How you facilitate holiness. You don't use manpower. You don't use willpower. You use knowledge. The knowledge of God's word. This is why the Bible says that, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin. If I don't know something about the word, sin will take the space that the word should have taken. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. How shall a young man cleanse his ways? He said it's by taking heed according to the word of God. And this is why we come to church to receive knowledge. Every time, every day you're studying, every day you're meditating, the space that the word takes, sin cannot take, take that same space. And so there is knowledge that we need to understand. Because there is a reality of what God has done, but then there's the reality of our lives. And it looks like there is a big disparity. God has done these amazing things. He has made us the righteousness of God in Christ. Why can the righteousness of God in Christ just still be struggling with masturbation? There is no, it doesn't add up. What is happening? There is a gap. There is a gap. Someone said there is a gap. Tell your neighbor there is a knowledge gap. There's something we don't know. There's something. There's something we don't know. Then it occurred to me that that gap, uh, that knowledge gap, we'll see it in scripture. Open to John chapter 1 and verse 29. John chapter 1 and verse 29. Amen. Amen. John chapter 1 and verse 29. Thank you, Chidi. Thank you. John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming into him, or Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Wow. He says, you don't just look at the Lamb of God. There's a way you need to see the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That means if you realize that in your life, sin has not been actually taken away. There is something wrong with how you are beholding. He says, behold the Lamb of God. If you behold the Lamb of God the right way, he will take away your sins. Not just in a spiritual sense. Even in your life, he will take it away. Behold, behold. Behold is a strong word. Look at it properly. Look upon it. Don't just hear and go. No, behold. It's the same word used in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He didn't just say, all things are new. He said, behold, all things are passed away and all things are now made new. Behold, all things are passed away. 
Behold, all things are now new. There is a way you need to behold the word of God and the realities of redemption that will impact your work. There is a way to behold. The challenge is that we hear, but we don't behold, so we don't handle. We hear, but we don't behold, so we don't handle. John also tells us this in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. He says, these things that we have heard from the beginning, the things that we saw, then we looked upon it, and then our hands handled it. Of the word of life. Let's go there. First John chapter 1 and verse 1. Look at that. First John chapter 1 and verse 1. Quickly. This, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and then our hands have handled it. So you are hearing about the word of righteousness. You are hearing it, but you are yet to handle it because you skipped the two significant processes between hearing and handling, which is beholding. So you are seeing, you are hearing, or rather you are hearing, these things we have heard from the beginning. God is good. God has made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is what you're supposed to be like. You're supposed to live a holy life. You are hearing, you are hearing, you are hearing. But when we ask, are you handling it? You can't say you're handling it. Look at what... John said, he said, the things that we have heard from the beginning, which we have seen with our eyes, he said, and we have looked upon it, he says, our hands eventually handled it. The things your hand is not handling are the things you are yet to behold. The things you are not handling are the things you are yet to behold. And it is in meditation you behold. It's in meditation. Because John is not saying here that we should go back into the medieval time and begin to behold Jesus and see him physically. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about how that you must impress the image of the righteousness that Christ has done. Impress it upon your heart. Meditate on it. And see yourself in your mind's eye walking in holiness. If you don't see yourself walking in a certain light, you can't walk in it in reality. This is why when opportunities come to some people, they react like their whole selves. Because they've never seen themselves in that context before. So when they come into that space, they don't know how to react. They go back to what they're familiar with. Because they've never seen it. Whatever you have not imagined yourself become, you can't act actively act it out. You can't. So he says, listen, beyond just hearing that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, can you imagine yourself the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Can you imagine yourself as a Joseph in the context of Potiphar's wife? Can you see it? See yourself in that light. Meditate on the word until it becomes flesh. Because if you don't behold, you can never handle because handling is the part where God is interested in making you a wonder to your world. Where people will be saying, it is not possible for a man to have never done this. It's not possible for a woman to have never done this. And you're like, you don't need to explain or tell them to go and go to anybody. You are a manifestation of their wrongness in their theology or their doctrine. That you are proof that this thing is real. And they're like, how are you handling it? It's because you are beheld. It's not enough to hear. The problem is that we hear every Sunday, we hear, but we don't behold. And I can't behold for you. I can teach you. You can hear from me, but I can't behold for you. That's the reason. So you, you are hearing me, but you can't behold what I say until you leave this room. Until you meditate on it. This book of the law should not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night. You learn to observe, to do according to all that is written therein. It says you learn to observe. Where do you do the observation? In your heart. You are observing in your heart. You are observing. This thing that God said is true. Whatever God says is possible, is possible. I agree with the word. If God says it is possible for me to be holy, I can be holy. And I will start from today. I can be holy. And you begin to live out the realities because you have seen it already in your mind's eye. Behold, all things are new. Old 
things are passed away. But between all things being passed away and all things being new, there is something called behold. Behold. Tell your neighbor, behold. Praise the name of the Lord. So the reason why a lot of us are still living in sin and perpetuating the dysfunctions of darkness is because they are yet to behold the realities of God's word. They are yet to behold the new creation realities that they've heard a lot of times, but they are yet to behold for the first time. Because you will reproduce after your beholding. Remember, Jacob taught us that in the house of Laban. That, listen, your beholding can overpower your biology. Ah. That you can be a person with a speckled body. <laughs> that is, this particular animal has speckled body, but it can produce one that does not have speckled. That this one that is not speckled can produce one that is speckled. <laughs> and it is not because, you see, that's to tell you that there's something stronger than biology. It does not matter what your parents have gone through. It does not matter the dysfunction that you met in your father's house. If you will behold the word of God, you can escape every dysfunction. You can. You can. It does not matter what biology is telling you. That ah, this thing has happened, it happened in your father's life, it happened in your grandfather's life. You can escape it. Just start beholding. Because Jacob carried speckled sticks. And he put it in front of animals that did not have anything speckled in their DNA. There was nothing in their DNA that suggested that they could produce the kind of things they produced. But the things they beheld changed the dynamic of their DNA and produced after its kind. It produced after the kind of its vision. Not after the kind of its biology. This is why the Bible will say that he came unto his own, verse 11, John 1, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become sons of God. Even as many that believe on his name. They that were born not of blood, or by the will of the flesh, or by the will of man, but by the will of God. You were born again, not because your parents decided to have you. Born again because God decided to have you, and you believed the gospel. You believed the gospel. There is something more powerful than biology. Is beholding. If you will behold the word of God, everything inside it can become your reality. Everything. The challenge is that you are hearing, but you're not beholding. So the animals did not just hear, they beheld. Every time they went to ease themselves, all right, Jacob would just lay it in front of them. And they were seeing it, they were seeing it. Whenever they go to mate, they were seeing it, they were seeing it. Because it is when we enter into an interaction with the word of God in the place of meditation that we're actually incubating the seed of God inside us. We're incubating the seed. It's like, it's like a holy intercourse where you are interacting with dimensions of the seed of God's word. And there is no way you will not incubate greatness if you behold consistently. If you behold consistently. And so Jacob gave us that mystery that there is something more powerful than biology. Moses also explained that to us. That as many of them that behold the serpent that is raised up in the wilderness, he said even though snake is biting them, it will disarm the toxin in their body and they will be healed as many as behold. There is something about beholding. There's something about looking again. There's something about reading your journals again. There's something about going through the scriptures you have always known. There's something about meditating on that which you say is a popular scripture. There's something about it. There is a way you can meditate on I am the righteousness of God in Christ and you will not be able to carry that same member of your body to fornicate. There is a way. Pastor Bajoli talks about how that he used to smoke before. <laughs> how that one day he just, of course he knew about how that, you know, he was the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and all that. And so he will carry the stick of cigarette and he'll be smoking. And he will be saying it. He'll be saying it. And he said it to a point where he could not take the stick again. Because he had beheld that word until it became reality. You don't always have to give the excuse that Jesus is the only perfect person in this world. No, please. Don't be, don't be part of this people that say, well, that was Jesus. Mm -mm, mm -mm. This is part of the sub 
subconscious conditioning that makes you acceptable to sin. It, it makes you accommodating, tolerance to sin. That after all, Jesus is God. You see, it's, it's for people like Jesus and his kind. It's for people like you as well. He said, greater works than this shall you do because I go to my father. You are not any separate, any different. He, he left so that you can run the show on earth. He left so that anybody that says, I want to go and see Jesus, they can say, go and see Amarachi, go and see this person. And the person would not have a lower, inferior experience with Jesus. Because you have become a real manifestation of the glory of God upon the face of the earth. Are you with me? The challenge is that we are not beholden. If you be behold the Lamb of God, He will take away our sins. He will. He will. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6. I hope we're still together. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 14. The Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He said, what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? Who is righteousness? Say it with boldness. Say, I am righteousness. righteousness. Say it again. Say, I am righteousness. He says, what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? And as I'm teaching you, you are hearing me, but try to also behold as I'm teaching. Amen. And this is what happens. You see, there was a time on campus, a man of God was teaching, but I was doing much more than hearing. I was beholding. So I couldn't write. And that's not to say that you shouldn't write, but at that level, honestly, I couldn't write what he was saying because it was so strong. And I listened, and literally I ate everything he said. Three, four years down the line, I could still preach that message verbatim without writing a single thing because I, I more than heard it. I, I literally ate what he said. I ate it. So when you are listening to teachings, let your mind see the possibilities in your life. It's not enough to just hear it. You hear it, then you see it, then you look upon it, then your hand can handle it. If you skip those two processes, you can never handle the things you have heard. You will just be going for conferences. Somebody will just be coming to share testimonies. They will just be saying all kinds of things. You'll be like, when will I do these things? These testimonies, which I like them now, who does not like to become a star? Someone that people will look at and they will think you are special. There is nobody special. They pay the price of beholding. If you will behold, you will handle. There will, be, there will be a time you will come forward and you will say the things happening in your life. People will not be able to believe it. And the reason is because you went into God's word, you harvested scriptures, then you began to behold. Beyond just hearing them, you began to behold them. And you began to fan them to flames. Like light that shines in a dark place until the day dawned. And until the day star arised in your heart. He says, you are righteousness. Just think about it for a moment. I am righteousness. You didn't just hear it, behold it. That is, when God wants to explain his righteousness, he sends me. I am righteousness. You think about it like that. So what is righteousness? Daniel Gunsunday is righteousness. Wow. So when God wants to explain how morally upright he is, he sends me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He said, what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? What communion does light have with darkness? What concord does Christ have with Belial? Hey, this is who you are. Say I'm righteousness. I'm righteousness. Say I'm light. I'm light. Say I'm Christ. I'm Christ. How are you not still shouting? 
<laughs> hey, you can't know some things and stay quiet. This is how people receive revelation. You, 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 you stay with the word and then you begin to behold. You cannot behold and not shout. You can't. When you behold the things God has said concerning you and you see it, this is what we made a bishop come out of a place of prayer and meditation and retreat and say, I can never be poor again. He has not handled the money yet, but he saw it. And he knew that poverty is irrevocably banished from his life and his lineage. He knew it that day. He knew it because he beheld it. He had been hearing it, that God wants you well. I, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health. But he never beheld it until that day. The moment he beheld it, he handled it. And until you behold, you will not handle. What did the Bible say? It says when you pray, believe that you receive. Then you will have. To believe you receive is different from having. To have is to handle, but you need to believe you receive. That's when you behold, you behold. So you see yourself walking even in the most dangerous alley and nobody could walk up to you and harm you. You need to see it because if you don't see it, if you enter into that dangerous situation, you will not know what to do. You will respond in the normal fear you will typically respond. You need to behold. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil. You behold it. You see it in your mind's eye. You behold it. What concord does Christ have with Belial? He said, what part does a believer have with an infidel? Hey, some of the word God uses to describe those that are not born again, they are very, they are not things you want to say to a friend or a colleague at work. Belial, that's a God. A demonic God. He said, what part does a believer have with an infidel for the unchangeable changes that want to change a man that they want to marry. What part? What part? You're a believer. What part do you have with an infidel? He said, what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? He says, for you are the temple of the living God. Hmm. Say, I'm the temple of the living God. This is almost like a detoxification service. Say it. Say, I'm the temple of the living God. Glory to Jesus. I'm the temple of the living God. I, I am the temple of the living God. I'm the temple of the Look at the incredible amount of care and detail God put into giving Moses the terms and the patterns of the temple. That was you he was building. That was you. The detail, the detail, it must not be more than this. It must not be higher than this. It must not be smaller than this. The same weight and everything in the temple must be overlaid with gold. And gold is symbolic of righteousness because nothing that serves me can be unrighteous. Nothing that serves me can be unrighteous. So everything must be overlaid with gold. Everything, even though they are wooden, they must be overlaid with gold. Even though they are, they are human, the righteousness of God has covered them. I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Wow. He says, for you are the temple of the living God. He says, for he has said, all right, I will dwell in them and walk in them. Hey, look at that. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is not the first time we have seen anything about walking and living. Go to Acts chapter 27. This is good. You see, Acts 17, Acts 17, 27 or 28. It says, in him we live 
In him we move. In him we have our being. So there is a level of understanding that it is in God you live, in God you move, in God you have your being. This is what happens when you get saved. In him you live, in him you move. Because if you are in Christ, you are a new creature. All things are past and will be old, all things are new. In him you live, in him you move, in him you have your being. But there is another level where God wants to say, in you I live, in you I live, in you I dwell, in you I walk, in you I have my being. That means if, I, this is so good. You dwell in God. God also wants to dwell in you. It's a very, is that what they call homeostasis, right? Where there is that, you know, integrated union. You are in God, but Christ is also in you. That is why he has made you his temple. He has made you his temple. He said, it is in you I want to walk. It is in you I want to have my being. It is in you I want to dwell. He said, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then he gave an instruction, says, listen, be separate. Come out from amongst them. He gave an instruction. This is New Testament. This is not Old Testament. Listen to scriptures. He says, come out from amongst them and be separate. He says, touch not the unclean thing. Not just think not the unclean thing. Touch not. Let it affect your members. Touch not the unclean thing. Scroll not the unclean thing. Watch not the unclean thing. Hear not the unclean thing. Touch not the unclean thing. Wow. He then said, I would accept you. Wow. So there is a level of acceptance that is higher, hmm, deeper than the one that you accepted in Christ. There is a way God wants to be so one with you that wherever you go, he has shown up there. Where he has come to accept, he endorses you, not just spiritually in Christ, but even in motion on earth. He has endorsed you. He has endorsed you. He said, wherefore come out from amongst them and be separate, said the Lord, touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. I will receive you. Wow, the next verse. And I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Almighty. Wow. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, saith the Lord Almighty. Then the next verse, which is still very much connected to this. Chapter 7, verse 1. It says, wherefore, seeing that we have received all these promises, <laughs> let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Deep promises of what? I will receive them. I will be a father to them. They shall be sons and daughters to me. He says, these promises, use it to cleanse yourself from every filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. Wow. Three kinds of knowledge that is required to stand above sin. Hallelujah. Hey, glory to God. You need to behold. You need to behold. Hmm. You need to behold. You need to behold. Look at that. God wants to dwell in you. Say God wants to dwell in me. You see, God already has a portion of dwelling in you, in your spirit. The moment you're born again, he already dwells in you. But he also wants to dwell in your soul. Amen? He wants to dwell in your body. But he won't dwell in an unclean place. The reason why he dwells in your spirit is because it's already clean. Nothing can tamper with the cleanness of your spirit. The Bible says you were sealed with the Holy Ghost of promise. So your spirit cannot be tampered with. Amen. Did you hear what I just said? Your spirit cannot be defiled the moment you are born again. But you see, the power in your spirit is not useful in your spirit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The power that is resident in your spirit is not useful there. The power that is in your spirit is useful in your soul and in your body. So that it can be useful in your life. 
Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, it says, If the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also not just stay in the spirit, but quicken your mortal bodies. That means the spirit of God and the power of God resident in your spirit is supposed to be a traveling spirit. It's supposed to travel from the dispensation of your spirit into your soul, through your soul, into your body. Into your body. Some sickness should be an insult to you. It shows that you have been allowing downtimes in your body where the spirit is not interacting with your body. Alright? And this is why whenever you fall sick, the next time you fall, I, I'm not promising you you will be sick. I'm just saying, if you fall sick, spend five hours in the word of God. Just go and do it. God taught me this in, in, in the university. Anytime I felt somehow in my body, I would just overflood my system. You know, there's a way you can you will overpower the infection with the supply of the right doses and then it will just neutralize anything that is perhaps running rampant. When you flood your system with the word of God and with the spirit of God meditatively, let me see the sickness that will survive that level of infiltration. Let me see the sickness. So what happens is that he sent the power from your spirit. It is supposed to end up in your body. When it ends up in your body, your body can then become an extension for healing. Because the spirit is not just, you see, God, God works in measures. Whatever is in your spirit wants to be able to contact the world around you. But it is holiness that literally sanitizes the pathway that the spirit will travel through from your spirit, through your soul, into your body. By the time it gets to your body, even your shadow can heal the sick. Holiness is that conduit. He wants to use you to be a blessing such that when you speak a word, it does not fall to the ground. Your mouth becomes a vessel. It becomes a sword in his hands. He uses it to cause havoc in the kingdom of darkness. The challenge is that people have not been righteous. They've not been holy. And so when they say things, those things send forth mixed signals. He said, can sweet and bitter water be coming from the same source? So you are saying things and you are saying things and the world around you cannot respond because you have not dedicated your mouth to things that are only for God. So by the time you say things that are not consistent with the things of God and then you come back and say things that are not consistent with the things of God, the world cannot respond because you are a double-minded man and nobody that is a double-minded man can receive anything from God. So you have confused the elements. You have confused the atmosphere. And so they don't know how to respond to you because you are not one. You are not integrated. Sometimes you join your body with an halot. Sometimes you say you are a member of the body of Christ. We don't know. We don't know. So you use this knowledge that you have of your righteousness, the fact that you are in Christ, the fact that you have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, and he says you will use it to sanitize yourself from the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. Filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. And a simple way to separate the filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit is the filthiness of the flesh are things that are visible. Filthiness of the spirit are things that are not visible. Filthiness of the spirit causes the filthiness of the flesh. Did you hear what I just said? There are dysfunctions that nobody will ever know you have. There are some people that are lustful, but it won't manifest yet. But if somebody will rape somebody, it was lust that started it, all right? So there are filthiness of the body, and there are filthiness of the spirit. Understanding the things that God has said in his word will help you sanitize your members so that you can represent the Christ that you ought to represent effectively. Things that are only detectable by the Holy Spirit and your conscience. These are the filthiness of the Spirit. 
pride, envy, lust, unbelief. These are filthiness of the spirit. Filthiness of the flesh, sexual immorality, all right, drug abuse, partying, indecent dressing, uncleanliness, violence, rebellion, sedition, all those things, rebellion, all those things. They are filthiness of the flesh, things that you have to engage with physically. But the ones of the spirit are very, uh, very deep inside, all right? But you need those things to actually power the flesh. But the Bible says that we need to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. Now, um, as we begin a round of three kinds of knowledge you need to enforce the new life you have in Christ Jesus upon your members. The first knowledge is the knowledge of what Christ has done. The knowledge of what Christ has done. The knowledge of what Christ has done. The second one is the knowledge of how you must appropriate what Christ has done. They are not the same thing. Sometimes people, you know, misrepresent these two or, you know, they don't, they don't understand the difference. Okay, and I'm just going to show you some of the differences. All right? The knowledge of what Christ has done, all right? The knowledge of, write it this way. The knowledge of what you have based on what Christ did. The knowledge of what you have based on what Christ did. Write it that way. It's better that way. Then number two, the knowledge of how to appropriate what Christ did in your life. And number three, the knowledge of the difference between one and two. Number one, the knowledge of what you have based on what Christ has done or what Christ did. Number two, the knowledge of how to appropriate what Christ did in your life. And number three, the knowledge of the difference between what Christ has done and your responsibility to appropriate. When you don't understand the difference, you will be frustrated in your attempt to live a holy life. Because you'll be saying, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but there will be no actual walking in righteousness. Because you don't understand the difference between righteousness and holiness. There's a difference. Amen. Righteousness is holiness at rest. Someone say righteousness. Righteousness. Is holiness Holiness. at at rest. Now, holiness is righteousness in motion. So, if God ever acts righteously, he will be holy. And if holiness is describing how holy it is at rest, it will be saying is righteous. So righteousness is holiness at rest. Holiness is righteousness in motion. Righteousness is what you have based on what Christ did. Holiness is how you appropriate what Christ did. Do you understand what I just said? Holiness is how you take advantage of what Christ did and then use it on this earth. And this is the hypocrisy of of some teachers and believers alike. When I say God wants you to prosper, how come you're not just comfortable with your heavenly prosperity? Think about it. Say you, God wants you to prosper, God wants you to prosper. You want the evidence of the prosperity now, right? God wants you to prosper and you're broke, you're poor, you don't, but God wants you to prosper and all I'm preaching to you is God wants you to prosper. Are you comfortable just hearing that God wants you to prosper without actually prospering? How come you are comfortable hearing that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but you are not willing to manifest what that righteousness is on the earth, which is holiness? It is some of the insincerity we find in the teaching of God's word. So you, you teach every other thing as though they are supposed to manifest because it serves your needs. Because, oh, it's prosperity. You need money. You need to pay bills. You need, uh, you need to have. You need all these things. And so when it comes to prosperity, you are not willing to just have your prosperity locked up in heavens. You want it to be conduited down here so that you can live out the life that God wants you to live out because you have already been prepared for from that realm. You have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
But it's in the same vein, there are some things that are pertaining to your holiness that are resident in heaven. It's called righteousness. But the earthly equivalent of that righteousness is holiness. So when God sees a righteous person on earth, the person is walking in holiness. But it was the condition that you already have in Christ, which is righteousness, that makes it possible for you to walk in holiness. As you continue to behold your righteousness, you will walk in holiness. As you continue to meditate on the word of God that says you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and all those things, you will then begin to walk in holiness. If you are not walking in holiness, it's because you are not beholding righteousness. You can't just start and say, I want to be holy by your willpower. You have got to be beholding something that is bigger than you, which is the righteousness of God that God gave you in Christ. Grace, all right, is what God has done. These are examples of the things that God has done. What you have in Christ that God did, grace. But faith is how you appropriate grace. Did you hear that? So grace is in heaven. It is what Christ has done. There is nothing you want to do in this life that can make grace available to you. Grace has been made available in Christ. However, how grace is accessed is by faith. It is by faith that it might be of grace to the end that the promise is made to all them that believe. Praise the name of the Lord. So grace is faith's account. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then faith is grace's debit card. Are you with me? Grace is the account that faith has. That is, if faith exists and it does not have an account, it has nothing to draw from. There has to be an account before I can draw. But you see, if there's an account and there's no debit card, the, the account will just be full of resources that will never be useful on this side of need. And so grace, all right, is faith's account. But faith is grace's debit card. So how you take advantage of all that grace has done is by using the debit card of faith. So faith is what draws on what grace has made available. So grace is what God does. Faith is what man needs to do to appropriate what God has already made available. Mercy is repentance's door. But repentance is mercy's key. Are you hearing me? Mercy is the door of repentance. Whenever you repent, the door you open is mercy. All right? And repentance is mercy's key. So that door, how it is unlocked is through the key of repentance. The moment you want God to have mercy on you, the only posture that can demand mercy is humility and repentance. Because mercy is undeserved. But the only thing that qualifies for mercy is repentance. It's repentance and humility. This is how you access the, the mercy of God. So these three things, for example, righteousness, grace, and mercy. These are things you receive from the throne of grace. You can't create it. You can't, you can't create it. It's not you that will create favor. It's not you that will create God's grace, God's mercy, God's righteousness upon your life. But there is a side that you must align with to take advantage of everything that God has made available for you. Righteousness is accessed by faith, of course, um, because anything that grace has made available, including righteousness, is accessed by faith. But in, with respect to how you live a life circumspectly walking in the spirit, righteousness is the component of holiness in heaven. Holiness is the manifestation of righteousness on earth. Do you understand? It is in heaven, 
holiness is seen as righteousness. On earth, righteousness is seen as holiness. It's not enough for you to just say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you are not living holy, people are not seeing the righteousness of God. So how they will see that God is righteous is through your holiness. How they know that God is graceful and gracious and benevolent is through your work of faith. And this is why as we continue to teach on fragrance, we have to touch on faith at some point. Because it is through faith you take advantage of everything that grace has made available for you. So that everybody will know how great God is through the life of faith you are living. Because when you are not living by faith, you are not taking advantage of everything that grace is capable of doing in your life. And this is why we teach faith. So that you will use the key of faith to open the access door into heaven, into grace. Again, using the illustrations that I've said, you use the debit card of faith to access the provisions in the account of grace. Amen. Amen. So you need to understand these two things. So in the same way, when it comes to your life of holiness upon the face of the earth, there is the responsibility that God has and there's also the responsibility that you have. And God has perfected his own responsibility. That is, he's not doing anything about what he has already done something about. He's not going to do anything afresh. All the responsibility is now on you to access what God's grace has made available. Many times we are well schooled in the knowledge of what we have based on what Christ did. Other times we are schooled on what we must do. But neither of them is capable of having effective results in our lives until they are mixed. So righteousness must be mixed with holiness for any of their messages to make sense. That means if all I'm teaching you is holiness, 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 and I'm not telling you that you're already righteous, your holiness will become dead works. Do you understand? And this is why some sects, all right, they just teach, don't do this, don't wear this, don't, it's all about the doings. They don't premise it under, all right, the premise of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because there's nothing you want to do that will earn you righteousness. There's nothing. So holiness must be preached within the context of righteousness for holiness to make sense. But if all I'm teaching is righteousness, righteousness, and I'm not teaching you how to be holy, you will be saying things, but people cannot see it in your life. And you will be a bad taste of what the righteousness that you already are in Christ Jesus should look like on the face of the earth. So the people will be questioning your Christianity. That how can, how can you say you're a Christian and you're living this kind of life? There will be a, there will be a mismatch. How, how, it doesn't make sense. How can you be righteous and be living an unholy life? It's not consistent. In the same vein, you can't use your holiness apart from righteousness to bribe God and get his acceptance. It is only Christ that is accepted. That's why it is righteousness in Christ Jesus. It's not your righteousness. Your righteousness is like a filthy rag. But God wants your holiness. Are you hearing me? Your holiness is supposed to be evidence of the possibility for the righteousness of God to be manifest upon the face of the earth. So none of these teachings should be taught in isolation and in exclusion from themselves. They must be mixed the same way he said, it is the same word that was preached to them that was preached to you. He said, but the, the word did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith. So imagine somebody is being taught the grace of God, the grace of God, but he's not taught faith. He'll be frustrated. How can he be so rich in heaven and be so broke on earth? There's grace, there's grace. You're just teaching me grace. How do I cash in on it? Teach me faith. So as I'm teaching grace, I must be teaching faith. As I'm teaching righteousness, I must be teaching holiness. As I'm teaching mercy, I must teach humility and repentance. Because there is the side that man must take. If you don't take your side, no matter what God is doing from his side, God is spirit. Everything is does in spirit. You will be receiving them in the realm of the spirit. It won't come into your life. Because he's spirit. He does not have a body like you. He is spirit. And everything he does is in the realm of the spirit. How you log The logistics of heaven are the things that I've told you are your own responsibility. 
So faith is one of the logistics of heaven. It is through faith you receive the things that God has made available in heaven. It is by mercy and repentance that, it's by repentance and humility that mercy is careered in your direction. Because what do you need to do to inherit the earth? Nothing. There's nothing you can do that can make God say, you know what, you are now deserving of the earth. But if you are meek, you can inherit the earth. Because it is by mercy people inherit the earth. It's not by hard work, it's not by labor, it's by mercy. God will just have mercy on those he chooses to have mercy on. But he must have seen their heart of humility and repentance. David understood this code. He said, a broken and a contrite heart is your weakness. Let me put it in my, in my own understanding. He said, a broken and a contrite heart. He says, thou will not despise. God cannot reject a man that has chosen to come to him in humility and brokenness. He can't. He will give that man mercy. Anybody that can be broken and humble before God has a corner in God. He, he, there is nothing God can do to send back a man that comes repentantly and humbly. There's nothing God can do. He will give him mercy. He will give him mercy. So you must understand your own posture. So you can't just live holy lives because I'm preaching holiness. There are some things you need to know. You need to behold some things. You need to behold Romans 6, 3, Romans 6, 6, Romans 6, 9, Romans 6, 11, Romans 6, 16. And there's any part of scripture that addresses the issue of how to rise above sin is Romans chapter 6. And six times, it ad or five times, which is symbolic of grace as well. It addresses how you must know something to rise above the elements of sin. We are young, and so our hormones are firing, and there is a very high temptation to seek after pleasure than to seek to please God. But I want you to make pleasing God your own pleasure. We were made for his pleasure. And this is why we must live by faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. How you live holy is by faith. You have to believe what God has said is possible. You've got to believe it. And then you act it out. So when you are faced with the temptation, just decide not to watch. Even though your body is saying, watch, let's watch now, let's watch. Just say no. And you move by faith. He said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling past this. And that's how you continue. And the more you do it, you, you are bending the body. You are bending the flesh. You are making it realize that I'm losing my power. The flesh is now realizing that, ah, once it gets me, I, I, can't, I can't take the authority from this guy again. This guy knows something. There's something he now knows. And whenever you fall into sin, you get back up immediately because you know you're not condemned in Christ Jesus. You get back up because there's something you know that there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You just walk in the spirit again. That's how you do it. So you don't just beat yourself down, feel guilty, feel bad, feel depressed, anxiety, and all those things. You have to repent for 10 days. You don't need it. You just need a knowledge that you're accepted in the beloved. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Walk in the spirit again. And as you're walking, be steady this time. Make sure that there's strong stamina. When the devil comes to push you down, he doesn't get a chance. Because you're walking in the spirit and you're making no provisions for the flesh. Let us be proofs that holiness is possible. Let that be our commitment. That this week, this year, and it's not like you're trying to look, count a log of sin that you have sinned. That's not your objective. Because that's not how God works. And that's why streaks don't work in God. Because streaks stroke your ego. Say, I've got 30 days without pornography. Why are you counting it? Do you want to have a day with pornography? Why are you counting the day without it? Stop counting. Stop. Streaks are designed inherently to end. No matter how many, how many games you've played and you have been scoring goals, then they'll start counting. The moment you start counting, just know that you're about to end it. Streaks are 
15 games. He has been scoring. 15, even Messi's streak in 2011, it ended. I don't know how many games. I think it was 20-something games. Every game. But streaks are inherently designed to end. Stop counting streaks. God's instruction is to die daily. Die daily. Whatever you did the first day of the streak, do it every day till Jesus comes. Do it every day. Stop counting streaks. We are not planning to go back to perdition. We are not of them that draw back onto perdition. We are of them that believe unto the saving of the soul. We just continue thereon. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus. Beholding his face. The title of my teaching this morning is Lambano. Lambano. Take a hold of that which belongs to you. Holiness belongs to you. Take a hold of it. Take a hold of it. Take a hold of it. Stop giving excuses. Take a hold of it. Resurrection's proof on earth is holiness. I'll say it again. And remember, if resurrection did not happen. Our gospel is in vain. The proof of resurrection on the face of the earth is holiness. If the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body so that you can live above sin. Praise the name of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this teaching. We ask that uh, our hearts are open to receive the truth of this word and cause change and transformation to happen in our lives. We don't want to keep giving excuses as to why we are all human. We're not all human. Part of us is the Holy Ghost. Part of us is wall to wall filled with the Holy Ghost. Nothing can tamper with it. And we must use that side of us to sanitize the rest of us. And Lord, we ask that the knowledge we need, the beholding we need to behold, the meditation in your word that will keep us sanitized to be a useful member of your body so that we can manifest your fullness always and everywhere and spread the fragrance of your knowledge. Lord, grant unto us in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for answered prayers. For in Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Let's celebrate Jesus this morning. What a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Park Point Tribe.